0: Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas
1: politics. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Yolitics. It is um, it's already May, man. It's it's mid-May, and it, it, it's, I was gonna it's, say, yeah, yeah. Where am I? Where have I been for the past? Where have you days, been right? the last yeah. almost I, half? I, I a don't month. know, man. It, it's just one of those years already. I thought last year was one of those years, but th- this is um, th- this is a fascinating topic we're gonna dive into today. It's something that I, I didn't really think about. I cover politics a lot, but I haven't really thought about this before. We dive into it though. A little teaser mm-hmm. for you. Let, mm-hmm. Let's talk about what you're drinking uh, today, Wheeler. Uh,
0: I'm going to tell you what I'm drinking today because you you kind of inspired this. You were just talking about this the other day. I have never tried this. I've never wanted to try this, but uh, I'm going to because you did. It is the best made sour pickle beer. Dude, uh, this is out of Fort Worth. The um, what is it? Martin House Brewing Company.
1: Remember the survey? We is this going to be a mistake? Yeah, the, the survey ranked you pretty high. Our, our listeners, for whatever bizarre reason, ranked you pretty high in beer selection. They did. But they ranked me higher than you, to yeah,
0: be I, to be exact. And so I, you know, maybe that's what I'm doing. Maybe I felt a little bit of pity because you did look disappointed when we talked about that. And so maybe I'm trying to bring myself down a couple of notches.
1: And you know, <laughs> you float brought you upward. Down, you brought it down a lot with that, man. So, the pickle beer. Yes, I, the pickle beer. I don't judge, though, man. You know, to, to eat your own. I'm having uh, strawberry fields. You ever had this? Ah. Oh my god! I almost picked that exact
0: same one. It's in my fridge right now. Really? We almost we almost started off with the very same one, which has
1: never happened. That you know that hasn't happened before. If if that happens, I'm playing Powerball. Uh, <laughs> this is Strawberry Fields is uh, Carbach, and I think Carbach's down in H Town. Yeah. The People's Republic and of
0: Houston. And that does sound a strawberry one sounds better than a uh, sour pickle one, but we'll yeah whatever yeah. Uh, you know what you mentioned the survey uh, that you did so poorly in in beer choice, uh, and that same survey we got a lot of feedback uh, from listeners, and we want to let you know that we have listened to listeners, uh, and um, somebody uh, several people had said hey why don't you you guys put this on YouTube uh, I like to watch when people are talking not just here when people are talking and so we're making that happen today um, if you would prefer to watch this instead of listen to this uh, we've got a link down in the description w- that'll take you straight to the YouTube conversation
1: sometimes you might not want to see everything that goes on in the background I mean uh, oh like when somebody takes that first swig
0: of sour <laughs> pickled beer my god how's that working out for you man Oh, I think that's going to be it see, for me today. You
1: see, listener, this is why I, uh, I consistently have the better beer choice. Who would, yeah, who the would thing get is, the typical beer,
0: though? Why would you do that? Well, remember why I'm doing it. It's because you suggested it because you had had it. Um, I, I mean, you had talked about it. Oh, yeah, I talked um, about it. I thought that that was going to have like a hint of, you know, how you, 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 you drink these beers and they it says, you know, chocolate, whatever, or strawberry, no. whatever. And you think, oh, I don't have a hint of that. That is... Overwhelmingly pickle. That, that is perfect for somebody who really is crazy about pickles. Man, oh.
1: they, they pour the pickle juice out of the Velastic jars and yeah. straight into like a, a light beer, and they serve it up. I, maybe you like it. I, I don't know. I, cool. it's, it's too much for me. The, the strawberry beer I love, is pretty good, though. It's a good... Uh, Good breakfast I love beer.
0: pickles and that was way, way too much. Uh, all right. So we have to loop back to your, you, you left us, you know, you hanging on the cliff there. there. Yeah. A little cliffhanger uh, about this topic being really interesting and it being something that you hadn't thought of, um, which, you know, I, I'll admit I hadn't thought a lot about this either. And then you think, well, is that because I'm a man? Uh, because right. maybe maybe women have thought about this a lot more, and that is uh, we're we're talking about representation, uh, female representation in elected office in Texas, uh, and you know you look at some of the stats on this, and it's it's not great. The picture's not great, and we're speaking today uh, with two women from a project here in Texas. It's called the Lone Star Parity Project. And they put out a report every couple of years, Jason, and the last one that they put out, the 2021 report, they said that Texas ranks 37th out of 50 in the United States for women's representation. So that is not a, a, a proud statistic uh, here in Texas, 37th out of 50.
1: Yeah, and in short, men are holding all these offices, a lot of these offices. And, you know, I, for, for the, our political program Inside Texas Politics, uh, Sunday Mornings, across the state, in case, you know, shameless plug there. But for our, our, our political program, we're always trying to figure out, uh, you know, make sure we have a good diverse uh, set of guests. And we think about, well, who are the women in statewide office? And maybe someone will correct me here, but the only woman in statewide office uh, that I can think of is Christy Craddock, who is uh, on the Railroad Commission. Uh, there are yeah. women representatives in Congress. There are some at city councils and, you know, across the state and, and some in the Legislature, But still, the, the work that the Lone Star Parity Project, uh, you know, put in really proves that there is a lot of uh, the research they did proves there's a lot of work to do. You know, for, for example, in, in Fort Worth right now, there's a runoff with, with two women candidates. Uh, Deborah Peoples and Maddie Parker are running out there. I, I didn't think much about it. I mean, two women running against each other is not that big of a headline to me, but maybe it, it should be. Um, after, uh, after what Brooke Lopez and Adriana Mayberry uh, you know, are showing us here this morning. They're, they're both on the call with us right now. Um, and and l- let's talk about the report, Jason, that, that you just mentioned a moment ago. Uh, you guys, Brooke and Adriana, you put this report together, you just released it, and it really dives down deep into where women are running and not running, why they are running and not running, et cetera. So, Brooke, what did you find?
2: Some of the main points that we found were that only nine counties out of 254 counties in Texas are actually at parity, which means that 50% of the seats are actually held by women. Um, We noticed that for every one woman who ran for office, there were 3.5 men running for office. We noticed out of the 2004 available seats during the 2020 election cycle, Only 384 of them were filled by women. Mm. Um, I know Adriana has a couple of more stats that distinguish Democratic women from Republican women and also distinguishes the difference between a presidential midterm election. One of the number one things that we captured and noticed is that 2018 is starting to look a lot like 1992, which you guys are like, what does that even mean? Why do I care? In 1992, that was the first year of the woman, which means we saw the most women ever running for political office across the country. Um, it also happened to be during the time that First Lady Hillary Rodham Clinton was serving in that position. Now, 2018, we saw another huge spike of women running for office, but after the 2020 election results, we're starting to see a stagnation, just like we did after 1992.
0: Hmm. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit about the the counties. You mentioned the counties where we're seeing parity in Texas, and there are not many of them. Uh, Dallas County, though, and Travis County, where Austin is, both of those uh, were uh, much more representative with, you know, 50 of, percent of offices being held by women. Were you surprised that we're not seeing more parity in some of the larger metropolitan areas like a Harris County, a Bear County, a Tarrant County?
3: It, it's not quite surprising. It's disheartening <laughs> to say uh, more of the emotion that comes from it. Um, but also, you know, like it gives us a little fire behind to like keep doing what we're doing.
1: Brooke, what are these nine counties?
2: We have the list in our state of the Texas woman. Um, Adriana, do you know them off the... I, I'm spearhead? asking you just
1: uh, Yeah, I'm asking you cold here.
2: <laughs> you know what? We've got a lot of stats going and running at the same time. While Adriana's pulling it up, though. Um, I also wanted to note that we saw a difference in Democratic and Republican women, which um, was really interesting. We noticed that grand overall takeaway in terms of Democratic versus Republican women, Republican women are actually going to be more likely to win their race. Um, And I know Adriana has more points on that. Adriana, do you have the nine counties? I do. The nine
3: counties in 2020 were... Armstrong, Lynn, Sherman, Dallas, Glasscock, Kennedy, McCulloch, Randall, and Travis. The next question to ask is why are we seeing this in more rural counties? Um, To bring up the point of why are Republican women winning at a higher success rate, Republican women running win 60% of the time, whereas Democratic women running are winning about 40% of the time. That's a massive Gap between those two. And one thing Brooke and I were talking about earlier was the a- aspect of there are 254 counties in Texas. We have under 20 of those that are in Democratic control. And so, sheerly by the numbers of having 230 some odd counties, with each one having upwards of a dozen elected officials. You start, I, you know, multiplying those numbers and you have a lot more access to Republican women.
0: When I look at your report, I look at the top line of it there and it looks like what's going on with Texans when they're walking into the voting booth? Why aren't they electing women? Uh, but then, you know, when you talk about that stat that for every woman who runs in Texas, you have three plus men who are running, uh, you got to recruit more female candidates. How do you do that? How do we do that in this state?
2: I think there are a handful of solutions. So first and foremost, we know that women do run at a decreased rate compared to men, but it's not necessarily the only barrier that women are going to face. So we know that women can sometimes be asked upwards of seven times to run for office before they actually choose to run for office. That's an incredible statistic because Mm -hmm. if you ask Uh, A candidate who's a man, if they have been asked even more than once, they might come to you and say, I've never been asked. I just thought that that would be a good opportunity. So we, one, as women who plan to run for office, need to lean on the circle of women who have already run for office. We need to tap into the candidate trainings. We need to tap into organizations that are trying to fill the gaps in the grassroots movements to help more women run for office. There's something that we found in our state of the Texas woman that kind of speaks to this point. When we asked the people that we interviewed and we interview or have interviewed upwards of 150 women, when we ask them what their biggest piece of advice is for younger women interested in getting in politics, whether it's running for office or just being an activist, whatever position they want to take, their number one piece of advice is to just do it. Mm -hmm. And so as we start to see more of this advice, trickling down into other young women who are about to rise up into the generation of people who are going to be running for office, hopefully we'll start to see that a combination of trainings and a combination of the women who came before them, lifting them up, adding more tables or (laughs) adding more seats to the table versus fighting for that same seat at the table is really where we're going to start to see more women running for office and in turn, more women winning office.
3: So one of the... Um, blaring attributes was that nearly half of counties didn't even have a woman run in a primary. Mm. And so like something behind that we're thinking is either women are incumbents, which we know they only make up about 25% uh, um, of already elected officials, um, that they don't have challengers or that they're just not entering when they see someone from their own party already has Mm -hmm. like signed up or that they're, you know, that they've already announced that they're running. Mm -hmm. Um, So just even starting at like the point of filing for election, uh, we need to see more women going in.
0: But, you know, even if a woman can get the money, even if she can get the donations and she decides to run, she's going to face a different race in a lot of cases than perhaps a male opponent is going to face. You all made the the, the point in your report saying that research still indicates that women face greater scrutiny from the media, especially for topics – even here in twenty twenty one, especially for topics including family life and clothing, we're still on that. Brooke, you've run for local office. you've you you can probably speak to this personally. Yeah,
2: I can. So not in fact, my actual personal experience inspired me to seek a senior honors thesis when I was in college during my undergraduate years, which actually uncovered this media scrutiny, which plays a big part into what we do with Lone Star parity project. So, um When I ran for office, I faced a huge amount of scrutiny because of my identity as a Latina, because I was young, I was only 18 at the time, and because I didn't own my own home yet in city limits, which hmm. you would think that you know that wouldn't disqualify me from understanding anything about the policy from having parents that lived in the community that pay taxes, but uh, I was scrutinized at every level whereas, My male counterparts who are also running were not scrutinized at all. So it inspired me in my undergraduate education to seek a senior honors thesis discussing the differences between men and women running for office at the state level and at the local level. I noticed in terms of media and in terms of research that's conducted that women are either always in the media when they're running for office or they're never in the media. So if you have a woman versus woman campaign, you will actually see less media scrutiny than if you were to see a woman versus man campaign. Now, there are obviously standout campaigns, for example, like the Texas Congressional District 24 race that happened in 2020. That was a standout campaign because that was a woman versus a woman. But there were a lot of other factors playing into why that had an extreme amount of media scrutiny. So women will either be over scrutinized for things about their personal life, like their lifestyle priorities, if they want to have family, if they plan to run and have family, When I personally ran, I was dealing with a medical issue at the time. I had some shoulder surgery, a very simple, basic surgery. And I had people asking me if I was going to survive, if I was going to survive to even live out long enough to serve my term as a young and healthy 18-year-old. That was something that was never asked of my counterparts and definitely never asked of any of the candidates who were also running in other races who probably had more serious health conditions than I did. So that's just an example of how something that is seemingly negligible can become over-scrutinized in the media or completely overlooked. If I were to be running against another woman or running by myself, I wouldn't seem spectacular in what I was doing, even though if I were an 18-year-old young man running for that position, we would have seen that all over the news.
1: Brooke, let me ask you about the congressional race for District 24. That that makes up uh, kind of northern Dallas County and northern Tarrant County, and that was the race uh, in last November that was Beth Van Dyne versus Candace Valenzuela. Van Dyne won that race. It was widely seen as a Republican uh, seat. But what happens if a Republican woman is running against a Democratic woman? Did you guys find or maybe the question's for you, Adriana, did you, Adriana, did you find any data on, on what happens since women, Republican women normally win more than uh, Democratic women?
3: To me, that that ends up coming down to the demographics of the district itself. You know, it's because we don't have like the data behind all these places. It's hard to make this general sweeping you know, like trend line of what's going on. And that's, what's the important about what we're doing is that we are bringing the data to this because it doesn't exist outside of what we're doing. Um, So yeah, to, to answer point blank, it's hard to say, you can't just take one data point and, and say something's going on there. To me, that district was, is just barely starting to become like a battleground and possibly turn blue. Um, so it comes down to the partisan politics, I think, at that point.
0: I want to ask about the sort of the future here, because as we all know here, our politics has gotten more bare knuckled, it seems like. It's, it's, it's a lot more harsh. The rhetoric is a lot more harsh than it used to be, it seems. Uh, and I wonder, is that going to benefit men even more going down the road because we've heard this time and time again that it is harder for a woman. She has to walk this really fine line uh, with her rhetoric compared to a man. Otherwise, she may be labeled as as one thing or another. Uh, I mean, we've seen uh, some very strong women. Uh, you know, Anne Richards, one of two governors uh, in this state's history. Uh, she was not shy about laying it all out there, and 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 she did well, but. Is this going to be harder for women? Because it seems like they have to walk a finer line with their rhetoric at a time when rhetoric is just, you know, seems like it's getting nastier and nastier in politics.
2: I think that and this is something that Adriana and I have discussed with one another, that it really takes not only women being empowered to run and to win and to serve in office without fear of retaliation from the community because they do something that a male counterpart wouldn't be judged for but it also takes male allies to help in mm. the political realm help with issues that have been traditionally seen as women's issues so i wholly disagree with the concept that there's such thing as a women's issue there are issues that women have an incredibly important perspective on traditionally women have been the only decision makers for Concepts of education, reproductive health, although that is wholly related to a woman's body. um, Funding for health care. A lot of these things are what has been considered societally as women's issues. But as we see, for example, with Congressman Colin Allred, he is currently fighting for uh, family leave, which is something that has been traditionally a women's issue, but is now being seen as an issue across the board for everyone to have an important perspective on. And I think it's important for more folks, for example, like Colin Allred, and like other men in decision-making positions to start to be an ally for women, bringing them to the table on issues that are not traditionally considered women's issues, Mm. and also sending themselves to tables that are considered traditionally women's issues and making sure that we have active representation on all of these issues so that women feel more empowered and have more doors open for them in terms of running for office and getting to those positions in the first.
0: Place. So you found that women make up a quarter of elected offices here in Texas, even though women are you know half or more of the population in this state. Uh, I know that you all talked with people all the way down to the collegiate level what do you see in the pipeline? Do you see more young women coming up through the pipeline than maybe we would have seen in years past who are saying, yeah, just do it. I'm ready. I'm ready to jump in there and, and, and start serving.
2: So we do see more women in the pipeline. But again, it's something that we can't simply hold on to and say, yes, there's more women on the way. We're doing good. Let's keep working on it. But, you know, it's on the back burner because it's on the way we're starting to see, like I said, that same stagnant period right after a huge spike in women running for office. So 2018, those people who were in the pipeline, pipeline burst. We saw so many women running for office, an incredible historic amount actually across the entire country, but definitely in Texas. And then we get to 2020 election, a presidential election, which you would think we would see, although like Adriana mentioned, there's a difference in the number of positions available to be run for. But we start to see that same stagnant number of representation, which is the overall number of how many people are serving. And that 20% number is actually only representative of statewide. There are actually only 19.2, I believe, percent of countywide positions held by women, which is even more dismal. It doesn't seem like a lot, but when we're talking about thousands of positions that are available for people to fill, that's a horrible number. That's that's upsetting. So we do see more women in the pipeline, but we have to keep nourishing that relationship that we have with the women in the pipeline. We can't get them excited to run for office and then when they decide that maybe they are ready to run for office based on their own decision, they get there and there's no other woman in those positions to help lead them, to pave the way for them, to give them advice, to kind of share their experiences, we have to keep that pipeline moving. We have to keep feeding that pipeline to make sure that the people who are currently on the way, who are in those collegiate positions are going to be excited and going to still be ready to run when they are um, at the point where they feel like they are qualified to run.
1: Adriana, you're the numbers person here. When do we reach parity in Texas?
3: Um, we wish it would have already happened by now. <laughs> uh, I've, there's tons of projections um, from many entities that are like, if we go at the rate that we are, it's going to take 200 years. It's, I mean, mm. this is the importance of staying engaged. We know that in Texas, we have a pretty low like voter participation number. And so all of these things are congruent to each other of you have more activism in a state you are going to have more people empowered, you're going to have more women empowered. And so we can't be complacent in this. We must continue, like Brooke was saying, to nourish the people who are already thinking about it, to bring more people into the pipeline, to, to have a more representative democracy at the end of the day. It, it works for all of us much better when more people are involved.
0: If we are able to reach parity here in Texas, how does government look different? How does it look different if 50 percent of elected officials here are women?
3: Women are seen as being more agreeable and that we are better compromisers. And so, you know, 50.1 percent might look like we have better governance. Um, It might look like we have more bipartisanship. I mean, it's hard to say what it might look like because we've never experienced it. I'm curious, have
1: y'all gotten any lessons learned from any women who run for office who might have been unsuccessful? Brooke, I guess you fall into that that spot, but any lessons learned (laughs) that you might share with our listeners who someone might be considering maybe running it someday?
2: (sighs) Uh, From a personal perspective, I think the biggest lesson learned is that running for office is a balancing act. And what the candidates put forward is going to be what they want you to see. But you have to understand that they are only human and that the candidate might look different from the policymaker. So we might see somebody who's really good at networking, who has a great personality in the community, who has lived there for a long time, knows a lot about what's going on. But their policy perspective might be very different from what people are looking for. Or they might not be a great policymaker, but a fantastic candidate. Um, In my personal experience, I also had to learn that running for office is a very tough experience. And I think you really have to jump in with a group of people that you can depend on and lean on. A lot of the women that we interview who are candidates or who have been candidates and who haven't won have talked about how the public scrutiny was sometimes unbearable The balancing of having to run for office and have a full-time job or any other lifestyle priorities that they may have was very difficult to do and to keep under wraps. But I think if we all start to recognize that a candidate and a policymaker are two different positions and that being a candidate is one of the most difficult things someone can go through in life, then we can all start to be more honest and transparent when we're running for office and hopefully a little less judgmental of the people that we are seeing as candidates and more judgmental of them as policymakers.
1: Are you going to run again, Brooke?
2: Well, first step for me is actually uh, graduating law school. I graduate law school in a couple of weeks. So first step for me is graduating, taking the bar, finding a job, and then seeing where I land. But I definitely don't see that it's out of the question.
0: That sounds like a politician. <laughs> they never they never rule it out but they don't rule it in either. So, yeah.
1: So she could run for office again.
2: It's in the cards.
0: Uh, well, uh, thank you both uh, for doing this uh, with us here. I mean, it's, it, it's enlightening when we see the numbers uh, that you all have put together. Uh, I would imagine uh, that, you know, you're gearing up now for 2022. Uh, and and who knows, maybe we'll see something entirely different then after we've seen these wild swings, these past couple of reports. Uh, but thanks for doing this. It, it really does shed a light uh, in an important area, I think. Thank you. I love when people won't rule out whether they're going to run for office I think that that always means yes Uh,
1: exactly that that is a yes that is always a yes
0: you know I think um, I I think it's interesting if she does run again and and you wonder like will it be different this time because of lessons learned from the last time uh, I, I I think it's it's fascinating the questions that she got when she was a candidate there and it does sort of underscore you know she's saying my my male counterparts were not asked you know how is your health and you know do you own your home and and things like that they they weren't being asked those things uh, but i was being asked those things there is a it's like a different standard
1: and and i i was shocked at the counties where there is parity where there is an equal number Mm -hmm. of women running uh as there are men i i don't know where some of these counties are i'm embarrassed to say um, I'm,
0: I was shocked by where the, the counties where there is not parity right. or anything even close to it. I mean, some of these larger counties, some of these, you know, urban and suburban counties, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised.
1: Yeah. And, and for our, our close, you know, y'all Yaletix listeners, I, I do want to apologize here, here briefly. You're probably thinking, well, Whiteley, you didn't have a lot of questions in there. Uh, maybe you weren't that interested in this topic. And no, I was. You, usually it's Wheeler, you know, Bigfoot me and just asking all these long questions. And I can't mm-hmm. get a word in. But this one actually had some technical difficulties, some super long delay. And uh, every time I try to ask something, it was like 20 seconds in to someone else's answer. So it, it was just it was horrible on my end. All the good questions we had to cut out. I apologize for that. You probably could have gotten more out of this podcast uh, than you're probably walking away with now.
0: I thought I thought that, you know, you had finally been subdued. I thought that we had finally taught me? you to just, you know, yeah, I thought you finally just learned that ah, he's going to interrupt me anyway. So I'll just let it go. I, I should I sit here and listen. I'll be a spectator this time.
1: I should. So th- that report comes out. It's a biennial report. So it, it's out every, every two years. I, I'm curious if it changes. It seems like every mm-hmm. few years in Texas, you know, progress is made on any number of fronts. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious if that changes in a few years. I, I'm shocked that Texas is that far behind. Mm -hmm. 37th you said out of 50th
0: 37th out of 50. And so uh, there's definitely work to do. But, you know, as, as they were telling us there, they've got this great pipeline uh, of, of recruitment. Uh, you know, they have a lot of uh, young women who are coming up through the ranks who are, you know, ready to, as they said, just get in there and just do it. Just just mm. get out there and throw their names into the ring and, and run uh, for different level offices. Um, but I, I like what they said, too, about how you can't just sit back and, and wait for that next generation, though, because that next generation we know how it is they might get tied up in you know the the business of life too you know right. and 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 that has a way of stopping ambitions when you start dealing with real life every day as you're you know growing up And so you can't just, you know, bank on, oh, they'll solve it all. You still have to get out there and keep pushing yourself no matter, you know, what your age is. And so uh, I I like the way they're thinking. Uh, We'll see if it makes a difference this next time around, though, uh, especially now that this is, you know, out in the open and being talked about.
1: And and we should have mentioned early on, this is a nonpartisan thing. They're trying to get women to run regardless of their of their political affiliation
0: but and they're trying to get women to help each other regardless of their political affiliation which i thought was interesting as well mentoring people who don't necessarily see eye to eye with you just to get a little bit more gender representation uh, in government
1: And, and the fact that these women have to be asked six or seven times compared to a man who just might just dive who in. Who doesn't even for, have to be asked. Without in, even in asking fact, he his might wife be, whether they yeah, should run. Yeah,
0: <laughs> In fact, a man might be asked not to run and will still decide, <laughs> you know, he's got some great gift to give the world and, and, and run anyway.
1: Absolutely. So, so the name of the organization is the Lone Star Parity Project, and you can find it online at lonestarparityproject.org. This report has a lot of interesting details called the State of the, State of the Texas Woman, and it's a biennial report you can find there at org. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. And we have to revisit this in two years, uh, I think. Yeah. And hopefully you'll have a better beer selection uh, in yeah, two years.
0: I, I, and I wasn't kidding. I, I, I took the one sip and I'm done. I'm sorry to the, the folks at where is it? You don't have to call Martin them out. House. Don't shame them,
1: man. Don't. It's not worth well, it. Don't. don't everybody shame knows
0: him. who they are, you know. But uh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm going to put it out there. If you really, absolutely love pickle juice, uh, have a beer from Martin House. And <laughs> you it's know, it's the best made.
1: When I go to to, to get my beers too, I, I uh, I've noticed a lot of sour beers. It's like yeah. all the rage now, and I I I, I skip those. I, I don't.
0: Who drinks that? I had that sour one last week, and it was good. Really? Uh, it was like a sour apple or sour grapefruit or something like that, and that one was good. Um, well, why are, this you, why one, are you burping uh,
1: right here, man? What you, how much you been slamming this morning?
0: I just thinking about it made me burp.
1: <laughs> we need to let you
0: go have another one, man.
1: Clear <laughs> the palate
0: here. Yeah, I gotta go. I gotta go change out my beer. All
1: right, guys. Th- thanks for listening. We'll, uh, we'll see you again next week.